Welcome to Kiwi Rider Podcast, New Zealand's premier motorcycling podcast made by Kiwi Riders for Kiwi Riders. My name's Ray here and joining me is Matthew Day Gillett. Hey man. How's it going? Oh, she's a wee bit warm sitting here in the home office uh, today. How about yourself? Yeah, pretty much. Much the same. Much the same. And welcome to part four and the final part, the finale of... Great Rides of New Zealand. Brought to you by Motomark. If you've had a dirty weekend, check out motomark.co.nz or talk to your local motorcycle, local motorcycle retailer about the pink stuff. It is pretty legendary and it's brought up our bikes absolutely spick and span following some some substantial and quite epic adventures. This episode, we were going to be bringing you some uh, adventures from um, editor of KRB magazine, Ben Wilkins' uh, massive trip around the South Island. Due to unforeseen circumstances, uh, we can't bring that to you right now. But what we can do is a breakdown, Matt, of all the epic roads and tracks that we have done over the last, well, it's been two months for us, but we've got it out over the past four weeks. Yeah, it's been uh, one hell of a summer is one way to put it. Um, so obviously we did the 42 Traverse, Fisher's Track. Um, between that and our amazing Molesworth trip, um, I actually managed to sneak in the Coromandel Loop as well, which was awesome fun. Um, then, yeah, obviously the Molesworth, and that was, well, four days of awesome riding for me, two days for you. Um, where do we start? I'm going to start by winding the clock back to late last year. Because when we first started talking about the Molesworth track, and that's kind of how most epic uh, mates trips end up, right? Sorry, how they start. Is one mate goes to another mate, hey, I want to do this ride. Do you want to come? And it's kind of a, for me, it was um, when you said, I want to go and do... Um, the Molesworth and the Rainbow, I was getting a bit nervous because I was keen. But at that stage, the only bike I had available to me that could do gravel was the Baby GS. Now, nothing against the Baby GS, the um, G310 GS. Great bike, but I wasn't keen to go that far on a bike that wasn't mine. Yeah, also, it does need a service, doesn't it? It's, um, those Ks <laughs> rack up a bit. It does need a service, and after all those Ks, it probably would have need, uh, needed new tyres as well. So um, at this stage, I'm, I'm quite nervous, and I'm, I've, got a, I've, got a, I've got a plan. I'm saving for the Tenere 700. Uh, I didn't know if I was going to get one, though. Yeah, until Ben and I bullied you into it, essentially. Talk us through what happened. So you saw this um, Tenere 700 on the internet, and uh, what, you're trying to beat the guy down on the price? Yeah, well, I always said when they were first launched, uh, and even before they were launched, I reckon I'm going to get one on the second-hand market, and as, you know, I'll get the first one that comes up second-hand. I reckon about 12 months after they launch in the country, we'll start seeing them in the second-hand market. And that's exactly what happened. I wasn't expecting it. I was saving, but I didn't quite have enough. And this bike pops up on a Facebook page, and I uh, I shared it with you and Ben, and I said, oh, I was keen, I'm keen, I'm keen, but I don't have enough money. And you guys kind of bullied me into uh, making an offer, which was more than I had. And then the guy accepted, and you guys footed the extra, which is really nice of you. So I ended up with a exactly, exactly. So I ended up with a Tenere seven hundred, which you know, if you've listened to the podcast at all over the last eighteen months, has been the bike that I've kind of wanted. So luckily, just before, well, right at the end of November, I got the Tenere seven hundred, and that's pretty much when we booked the ferry for the uh, Molesworth trip. Yeah, um, what was it? The Blue Ridge ferry. We paid the extra in case. Um something went wrong we paid for the what was it the flexi sale tickets or something so if you have to yeah so we can move it if if covid kicked yeah um which i'm still glad even though nothing went wrong i'm still glad we did because it was worth the extra peace of mind not a single um regret on that no um definitely worth i think it's better as well it's like buying insurance isn't it you you 
pay for insurance, hoping like how you never have to actually fork out and go and use the insurance. And yeah, what did we do? Um, we, then we started planning our route. Um, and how we're going to achieve it. Exactly. Um, and I pretty much, uh, like I do with a lot of these trips, I kind of uh, put the blinkers on and left you to plan the route. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I figured yeah, pretty much. You're, you're the researchy guy. You kind of get in there and you look at all the, weigh up all the alternatives. And I went, eh, wherever he wants to go is going to be good. Um, but before we went on the uh, Molesworth rainbow trip, um, there was the Kiwi Rider staff party, the Christmas party, even though it was between Christmas and New Year. Uh, where we were invited away to the forgotten, well, no, the 42nd Traverse. Yeah, and um, that was, oh, what kind of, the best kind of party involves motorbikes, doesn't it? It always does, yeah, yeah, yeah. And this, for <laughs> me, uh, was the, the first shakedown on the Tenere 700. So once I got the bike, I started doing some research on crash bars and skid plates, and I, I knew that the bike was kind of high, and I'm not huge. I mean, I'm just under six foot, but the inseam isn't exactly long. So I went and got the- Yeah, you got a big torso, short legs, don't you? Yeah. Yeah, big torso, big, big round. Um, so I'm, I, I got the Mototech Outback Mototech crash bars and skid plate, and 100% they have paid for themselves. Oh, definitely. Um, yeah, it took a, a couple of tumbles, but none of them were while moving, really, were they? Um, no, so, it's all it's all to do with short legs. Yeah, so um, that was that was handy for you. For me, my preparation for that involved getting a new set of tyres for Rosie the Rally, because uh, I was running on road tyres, well, 90, 10, 90% road, 10% off-road tyres, and uh, there's no way in hell my summer would have gone off how it has without changing those tyres out. Um, so, yeah, I went with the Shinko E804, E805 uh, Adventure tyres, and, um, yeah, just like your um, crash cage and your uh, skid plate, man, those tyres, like I'm looking at them now, they still look pretty much brand new, and they've got nearly 3,000 Ks on them. Um Three, four thousand, maybe. I've done. I've done a lot of K's um, this last uh, couple of months, um, and yeah, that was basically all the preparation I needed to do for um, the forty-two traverse, other than booking a night off with the wife, which um, yeah, she graciously gave me which meant I could uh, go and party. The other thing that we um, that you need for a big trip is is uh, some form of luggage, something that you can carry some gear in. And a backpack for that many Ks is not fun. So I um, I was lucky enough that the uh, the awesome team from Dold Industries, uh, they hooked me up with the Ventura Evo rack and the uh, I ended up using the Evo 22 Jetstream uh, pack, which is not the biggest, not the smallest. It's kind of right down the middle. Um, but you you got some some stylish looking panniers from GV. Yes, so I've got the GV GRT seven one eight panniers, um, which I didn't actually take with us on the forty two traverse. Instead, I used the GRT seven oh three, I believe is the model name um, tail pack, uh, which is a nice big forty liter roll top waterproof um, bag that you just strap down with bungees to the tail of your bike. Um, and that worked perfectly. Um, only gripe I've got with it is unlike the panniers, which have this nice yellow lining that makes it really easy to find stuff. Um, I found myself uh, sitting in the accommodation, rummaging through this black hole of a bag that I'd managed to overpack for an overnight trip, as you do. Um, but other than that, man, awesome stuff. And as we found out later um, at the top of Jolly's Pass, the 717 or 718 uh, 
pennies. They're actually tougher than they look, aren't they? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, we'll, we'll catch up about that a little bit later on. So the um, the 40-second the traverse trip for me kicked off at like 4 a.m. some crazy hour uh, where I got on the road. It was raining from Wellington, got up to uh, Stratford and took on the Forgotten World Highway. Um, at the start of part two, you did the Forgotten World Highway as well. Let's compare notes on that. Uh, last time we did it was a long time ago, a couple of years ago, and the gravel... Only twelve k's of it, but it was it was quite loose and and um, ungraded and uh, you know un- yeah. It's like they just dumped a whole lot of gravel down just before we went through, wasn't it? Yeah, it was quite deep. So I was on the MTO seven last time I did it. The Tenere seven hundred this time there were two uh, distinct wheel tracks through that gravel, uh, and the Tenere just ate it up. Yeah, well, first time we went through it, um, I was still on the factory uh, IRC tires on the rally. And um, they were getting a wee bit low, so it was a wee bit skittish, plus it was a lot deeper. And, yeah, new t- brand new tyres, essentially, and just breezed through it. Though, um, yeah, for me, when I was cruising through it, um, were there any other bikes with you when you cruised through it? Because um, I ended up getting passed by a very familiar-looking R80GS and a very familiar-looking CRF1000L Africa Twin while I was riding. No, I was I was the only one going through when I went through, but uh, I hear you got passed by Ben and Doug. Yeah, completely out of the blue as well, and I was just cruising along. So you didn't know they were going that way that, that day? No, I didn't even know they were actually on the road that day, and I was just cruising along, minding my own business, telling myself, yeah, just enjoy the scenery, Matt. Uh, you're not in a rush. You're not going anywhere fast. Take it in, because when we first went through the Forgotten World Highway yeah, back in, what was it, 2019, um, we were kind of... Well, on the gravel bits, you were going a bit slower. I was kind of just going the same pace the entire way through, and I was blinkered. I wasn't seeing any of the scenery or anything, so I was trying trying my best to soak it all in. And then all of a sudden, this black and yellow GS passes me, and I see the rider. We look at each other, and we crack up laughing, and then it's on. <laughs> and I was sort of total pinch <laughs> trying to keep up. And, yeah, those boys just – they've been riding a lot longer than I have, um, much more skills than they like to – ride a bit quicker than I do. So uh, I sort of let them, left them to it um, and eventually caught up to them at the Whangamomana pub, uh, which interestingly enough has really good fish and chips for somewhere far away from the sea. Um, but yeah, that was my uh, Forgotten World Highway trip, though I did stop um, all of those amazing ridges you ride along um, right up to the top. Um, and you can see for miles, I made a mental note. I had to stop whenever I saw a really great view. So I stopped about four or five times along the trip. Um, how about you? I didn't stop, but I was loving the road. Uh, I, I you, you mentioned having the blinkers on. I just, I did. I had the blinkers on on the T7. This was my first taste of proper twisty tarmac fun. Uh, and so over those spurs and stuff, I was, I was absolutely loving it. Although it is... So this is one, this was a funny wee story. Um, my son is two years old and he's got a little iPod in his room and uh, my wife uses it with Spotify to uh, while he's sleeping to play him lullabies and whatever. Unfortunately, that iPod is on the same Spotify account as my phone. So I was listening to Spotify just <laughs> as I was getting up to the twisty stuff and I had a bit of rock going on, a bit of Foo Fighters, and I was getting into it and then suddenly the music stops. And I'm like, oh, that's funny. <laughs> and then suddenly lullabies start. And I'm like... No, <laughs> and then, <laughs> so my wife had uh, just put the my boy down for a, for a nap, and there's lullabies playing in my ears. I had to turn it off, and so I that was the first part of the trip that I did with no sound in my ears. And I was looking back to go, what what's that noise? What? And the Tenere's got a funny little 
It's quite a cool little burbel overrun thing on deceleration, uh, and I, it was the first time I heard it, and I went, "Wow, this is I'm I'm on an awesome bike. I'm on the bike of my dreams, pounding through these really twisty spurs uh, and loving it. It was absolutely brilliant. So I highly recommend getting into the Forgotten World Highway, and you don't need anything fantastic to get in there. You can get in there on a road bike. You can get in there on in your in your mum's Toyota Corolla. Yeah, or a uh, giant caravan, which is probably the main thing to be uh, watchful for as you're riding through there. Is um, like even though the tourists have mostly dried up, there's still a whole lot of grey nomads in their Maui camper vans coming the wrong way <laughs> against you. And um, yes, yeah, so, particularly in um, when it gets real tight and twisty, the road's quite narrow. And um, the last thing you want to see is either a camper van or a logging truck. In my case, I had a logging truck coming around a corner on the wrong side of the road when I was going through. Um, but other than that, it's an amazing stretch of highway. The very next day, well, from when I did the Forgotten World Highway, uh, was the 42nd Traverse and Fisher's Track. Um, the first thing I'll say about 42nd Traverse is when you're going in there, um, know, know what gear you're taking and only take what you need to take. Make sure you're taking water. Um, we had a, an interesting conversation actually just before you arrived, Matt, about what we should be wearing going in there. Uh, and Ben said uh, to take all our thermal liners and waterproof liners and everything out of our jackets uh, and just wear like um, something to wick away the moisture, but not cotton. Uh, and then maybe a cotton T-shirt and then your, your jacket. Otherwise, we're going to end up roasting and getting wet and, you know, wet from sweat and then you just get cold. Um, but you are you are dealing with um, you know uh, subalpine kind of uh, temperatures and, and heights there, so you want to make sure you're going in with good gear. Yeah, I seem to remember I took I wore my thermal liner on the way in there, and I took it off um, when we stopped um, after about half an hour of riding. I was like, yeah, this is way too hot for this, and um, yeah, packed it away in the back of my um, jacket and thought nothing more of it because yeah, surprisingly. I was thinking it was going to get really cold. The weather forecast it was going to be 14 degrees or something. So I was sort of thinking for the worst. Nah. <laughs> and you're working that hard because it is, like, for me anyway, like I'm not a hardcore off-road rider, but it was pretty technical in places. And you're sort of thinking there, you get the sweat going. Next thing you know, you're roasting if you're wearing a thermal liner. I personally found only one spot to be difficult, and that was the hill climb that we both actually struggled on. Yeah, we both, for lack of a better word, we both fell off on. <laughs> exactly. Um, but what, the, that, the diff, yeah, you, you do, you sweat, and you don't realise how hard you're working because you're, well, I was up on the pegs and I was throwing it into corners and I was, I was going for it. Not ridiculously quick. I mean, there'd be much faster riders out there, but um, you, you are working, and so you don't realise how much... Um, you know, perspiration you're losing and, and you've got to replenish that, that water. So make sure you're taking food and water and everything in with you uh, and and know the weather conditions and dress accordingly, take an extra layer and that sort of thing. I can't stress how much, how kind of important that is because once you're, what was it about 40 odd Ks? Once you're 20 Ks in, you're in the middle of nowhere. Yes, from memory, it's 46 Ks from start to finish once you go from uh, the National Park end to Othango which is where we came out. Uh, we did it from east to west, which is the recommended, according to the doc website, uh, route to take. Definitely wouldn't really want to do it the other way around. There was a lot of um, steep, rocky hill climbs that um, would have been really hard. Slock. Would have ended up, yeah. Um, we, we ended up doing a lot of descents, which it would end up being quite difficult hill climbs if we went the opposite way, right? 
just before probably it would have been the biggest river crossing. We were coming down down the hills and everything. You and Ben were well ahead of me because I'd gotten stuck behind um, some guys on quad bikes. And um, we're sort of cruising along, cruising along, and then it just drops and the road sort of forked a bit and there were multiple ways to get down to follow the track. And all of them were rocky and loose. And I was sort of putting along going, where the hell, which is the best line? And there are offshoots going down on the right. That looked really steep. Um, And I ended up following the main track, but I wouldn't have wanted to go up that. It would have been really hard scrambling for traction kind of. Yeah, it was was quite tough, wasn't it? It was kind of like chuck it in first gear, stand up and just kind of touch the brakes and dab yourself on the way down the hill, right? Yeah, yeah. It was, um, that was probably like, out of um, the entire traverse, that is the um, section that sort of I want to go back to most because, um, like, you could actually have a little bit of a play around there. There are plenty of opportunities to stop and muck around. Um, and being only 46 k's long, there's plenty of, um, like, if you've got a full tank of gas, you've got heaps of gas. Um, so, um, yeah, that's probably my only one regret from that um, trip is because we were doing it as a big group and we are all trying to keep together in that, there wasn't, it's that same old, same old, you're sort of, you're all trying to stick together. You're all trying to make the same pace and you don't stop and play around as much. Though mm, when, I, I did feel a little bit like we got rushed through there a smidge. Nothing yeah. against the guys we were with. Yeah. Um, like if we did, like I'd, basically ever since we got back, I've been thinking, damn, I want to go back there again. Um, it's such a cool ride. Um, and it's, yeah, it's just far enough away to sort of get away from it all, but you're still reasonably close to civilization. So if you get in trouble, uh, you're not absolutely boned. Um, though it would be handy to have a um, personal locator beacon riding through there in case either you come unstuck or somebody comes unstuck because there are a lot of people using that track, aren't there? 100%. Uh, that was one of my one of my things on my list of gear that you really, really should have. Uh, I wouldn't go in there on my own. I wouldn't go in there with uh, an inexperienced rider, and I wouldn't go in there without at least one PLB. Uh, I think that's kind of a, a must-have. And luckily, uh, Ben had one strapped to his chest, so we were uh, we were all good on that front. Um, yeah, your rocky descent was one of the, the moments that stood out to me. Um, that hill climb was another moment that stood out to me as if I had better tyres on the T7, I reckon I would have got up there. No dramas. Um, still running the factory um, Pirelli Scorpions, which, although they're not bad, they, in that kind of loose stuff, they weren't ideal. And also looking at the video, I wasn't, I didn't really give myself enough of a run-up. I, I probably should have thought about what I was doing and backed up a bit further. Yeah, same thing here is... Um yeah, I was following Ben and we were rushing bec- rushing again because uh, the quad bike guys, we'd all managed to pass them and they were catching up to us and we sort of like, go, go, go. Um, and I think I was the third bike to attempt it. And I watched Ben on Bad Betty just crawl up it like it was nothing. And um, yeah, I didn't have enough of enough momentum. And I got to the point where the bike just started wanting to, it was lifting the front wheel because I didn't have enough momentum. Ah, you needed to, you needed to get out. up over the handlebars. I was pretty far over, but when I get over the handlebars, I start hitting my head on the windscreen on a, because uh, it was quite a steep hill as well. Um, but yeah, that was 
that was quite challenging, but man, it was good fun once we got up to the top there and watched everyone else try and get up there. Definitely, yeah. Um, we, from there, we, we oh, there was one more thing I wanted to mention on the 40, uh, 40 second traverse was the uh, the beautiful river crossing that you mentioned just after your um, after your downhill descent. There was the you come you wind through the bush and you come to this river crossing where you you kind of have to go diagonally across it. It's quite a big one, uh, and and if there'd been a lot of rain around the time, it probably would have been quite deep. I've seen photos of you know it being halfway up a four-wheel drive um so the water crossings on the 42nd traverse aren't hard but this particular one was kind of long uh and you would have been about what 20 meters wide yeah something like that um if you Um, watch if you go to your um, youtube channel and watch the video you actually see me uh get stuck on the other side because i picked a bad line on the exit and didn't have enough power to get up the step but that's beside the point uh, it was an awesome river crossing. I really enjoyed that. 40 second traverse, brilliant. Go and do it. If you haven't done it, like we, Jock uh, McLaughlin, he's been riding adventure bikes for however long, God knows what, 30 years or something. He said he'd never done it before. Well, considering how fast, like he was just basically, we we started the 40 second traverse all together um, at the big car park play area at the very start of the track. And that was the last time I saw Jock <laughs> until we got to Ofango. He was just... About three quarters of the way through, he gave up and just carried on. He got sick of waiting for us all. Yeah, though he is an ex-enduro champ and um, he can pedal any bike incredibly well. Um, so if you can keep up with Jock McLaughlin, you're doing very well. We finished the day on Fisher's Track, which I'd never heard of before. But Matt, you said it's um, it's listed on the... Uh, I want an Adventure Riders New Zealand uh, website or something like that. Yeah, Adventure Riding, I think it's adventureriding.co.nz. Um, they've got a whole lot of um, GPX files and tracks and everything from basically, it's a giant pool of knowledge of adventure riding trails that you can do, which, um, yeah, it's well worth having a look if you're wanting to plan a fun route. Fisher's track is probably the one that put the wind up me the most because there were it was quite tight. It was a little bit slippery, very grassy and clay, um, but there was just big drop-offs. Like you had a cliff on one side and a drop-off on the other, and if you went wrong, then you were going a long way down. So that kind of slowed me down quite a bit. Yeah, it was quite tight and technical. It's technically part of the... Uh, National Cycle Trail, apparently. Um, but all the local National Park guys all still ride their dirt bikes through there and everything, and um, that just seems to be what it is. Can't take four-wheel drive through there or anything. It's um, definitely too narrow for that in places. Um, I, yeah, really, really enjoyed Fisher's track. Um, apart from, yeah, the couple of moments where it's you look over to your left or whatever and it's really, really steep and you go, oh, I don't want to go down there. Um I had my second drop of the day with the rally. I managed to get into a rut and next thing I know I was in a ditch. Don't know how, um, but ruts tend to do that to me. Uh, But um, other than that little moment, and thankfully the ditch was on the right-hand side of the trail, not the left-hand side of the trail where there was a drop. Um, Other than that, it was quite a fun um, sort of almost trail ride-ish kind of track. Uh, it was very trail riderish. It was exactly what you'd expect to see on a normal trail ride. Yeah, and it um, reminded me a lot of um, that beta beta launch we went to. Um, what was that? Geez, that's a full year and a bit ago now. And um, yeah, it was very very good fun. Um, and you didn't have to go fast either. You could just cruise on through. And the views are actually sensational. Once you sort of, if you stopped on some of those um, sort of higher 
plateaus, you could actually look out and have a really, really good view. Mm, for sure. So that was part one of the great rides of New Zealand. Got to say a massive thank you to Motomark. Uh, love those guys. Love the, the, the Motomark stuff as well. Got back, sprayed the bike down a Motomark, had a beer, used the, pre- the, the water blaster to clean it off. And the photos of how well it did are up on uh, social media, Facebook and Instagram right now. Part two, we got on the ferry uh, very early and got down to the South Island. People have been asking us, Matt, for the better part of two years, however long we've been doing this podcast, to come to the South Island and do some riding. So uh, I think, uh, you know, Brent and, and, and the rest of them were, were quite stoked that we ended up down, down there to do some stuff. Uh, and we got there. Yeah, well, I was going to say Brent Cotton was definitely one of those people telling us we had to go down there. And when we did, he would give us a show around. And um, what do you know? When we finally get down there, he axes out impromptu tour guide. Yeah, exactly. Uh, which it was, was brilliant. Uh, so he he had a, a fair idea of where he wanted to take us, but um, he wanted to leave it up to. He said, "What did he say? It was it's our holiday, so we have to decide where we want to go." And I said, "No, no, 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 no. I'm here." <laughs> You guide me. You take me where you think I need to go. Yeah, look, we were saying um, there were two rides we wanted to do. We wanted to do the Molesworth ride and the Rainbow. Anything more than that was bonus and it was going to be awesome. And um, it's exactly what he provided, wasn't it? So we, we booked this trip, you know, in, as we said, November, December last year. A week out on the Facebook page for uh, the Rainbow Station, the road gets closed by a massive slip. And we're like, oh, no. And I kind of had had this little thing in the back of my head that maybe they'd get a bulldozer through and clear it, but there was no promises of that. You know, it was definitely uh, was potentially not going to be open. So we were going to go down there and do the Molesworth and have to find another way around. So Brent says, "Oh, don't worry, boys, don't worry, we'll find a way around. I've got I got some other roads to show you. No dramas." So we get down there, we get on the ferry, and uh, we, we'll talk about the, the 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 silver lining about the rainbow shortly. But we we met Brent. He goes, "Do you want to do Port Underwood?" Sure. Why not? Yeah, and um, I'd actually planned in the um, planning stages that we would do that on the ride back. Um, and he said, no, 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 you want to do Queen Charlotte Drive on the way back. Uh, we've just done Port Underwood. It's, uh, what is it, some really nice tight twisty tarmac and some uh, really nice gravel. Yeah, he said really nice, and he said some other things about the gravel. But um, basically, it was, what, 50K, and it was on our way to Blenheim. So we were like, yeah, sure, why not? Like. Got plenty of time. So if you look at a map and go picked into Blenheim, it's a straight line, um, you know, from north to south. Uh, Port Underwood is around the right-hand side or the eastern side of the coast uh, around to Blenheim. And that was, um, if you haven't done that, I reckon you should go and do it. In fact, I reckon that is the way to leave Picton. Because I've left Picton before and it's been a boring-ass ride. Yeah, and it was, like, again... Like there's just so many places you can stop and just check out the scenery. We stopped at a bit of a rocky beach, um, did a bit of mucking around there. We stopped at a couple of uh, big car parks at the top and lookouts and just looked out at everything. Definitely lots yeah, very to see. Long. Yeah, we. If I, I definitely want to do it again just to sort of take a bit more time. As is always the theme, you do a ride, you get the blinkers on, the red mist, and you just want to go, go, go. Um, definitely want to go back there with a bit more time up my sleeve and um, enjoy that a bit more because, man, it was good. And some of those rows, like the gravel was a bit corrugated in places or very corrugated as we found in some bits, Um, but you're riding along and the trees and the forestry or everything you're riding around it's all growing up over the top of you and it's so you're in a you're in a tree tunnel yeah it was really really good i thoroughly enjoyed that bit i was gonna say the worst part of it was coming out and amongst all the uh 
vineyards at the uh, Blenheim side of Port Underwood and um, going, oh, okay, the gravel's over until we uh, start heading towards the Molesworth. So uh, from Blenheim, we fueled up and did Taylor's Pass, which, as I understand it, to go to the Molesworth from Blenheim, you would usually go, you know, follow State Highway 1 around and, um, you know, where the, near where that quake was, uh, they, they cut in from there. Seddon, that's right. Yeah, it's about a kilometre before you get to the township of Seddon, you turn off onto Awateri Valley Road. But um, And that was the route we were going to take uh, when I was planning everything out on the River app. And then Brent goes, oh, let's do Taylor's, Taylor's Pass. It takes you, drops you down into the Awateri Valley. Um, bit of gravel, it's a bit of fun, a lot more interesting than State Highway 1. So we're like, yeah, sure. As we did. So this is pretty <laughs> this, much uh, where I lost, like, a mental... I keep a mental map of generally where I am as I'm driving around the country, right? I don't know if anyone else does this, but it's kind of how I work out where I am. And this is about where I kind of lost my mental map of where I was. So Taylor's Pass, kind of out the back of Blenheim, straight and up, up and over the hill to the Albuquerque Valley. Uh, and and I, wouldn't, I wouldn't say it was a bad road. It was definitely a good road, and it cut some time off. Um, but it, to me, it wasn't like a must-do road. It was nice, but it wasn't, yeah, this is awesome. Definitely, if you're going to go and do the Molesworth, I reckon it's worth going that way um, because it is interesting. Unless you have a really, really tiny peanut of a fuel tank, um, you've got plenty of fuel if you fuel up in Blenheim to get to Hamner Springs. Um, I did it on the 10, well, I still had two litres or three litres left in the rally, and that's normally drained after 180 to 200 Ks. I hadn't even hit reserve when we got to Hamner Springs. Um, but it was a fun sort of almost an introduction to to what you're going to expect going through the Awateri Valley and the Molesworth. Awateri Valley, we passed like 15, 20, maybe 25 four-wheel drives. Um, otherwise, it was uh, a lot of looking at the, the valleys and the mountain peaks in the distance and seeing that, that precipitation falling and going, hang on now, <laughs> which one are we going down? Because I don't want to... It was almost like walking down the end of the supermarket and, and looking at all the aisles and going, now, which aisle are we going down? <laughs> yeah, and we were sort of talking to ourselves um, via the centers going oh I hope we're not going to get wet I hope we're not going to get wet and um, yeah we, we did pretty well considering how gloomy it looked we were sort of hoping like the day before um, we hit um, the Molesworth we hit the South Island I'd ridden down from Cambridge and it was a stunning blue sky day and I was thinking man if we hit the South Island and the weather's like this it is going to be absolutely epic it was still epic but um, yeah I, th- I think if you hit that area on a good day it's just going to blow your mind I reckon the weather we did it in was good riding weather but I don't think it was good photo weather yes yeah you're right there because it wasn't too hot it wasn't too cold it was sort of perfect temperature it was grey, overcast. We got a few spits of rain to keep the dust down. But that was only like our Teddy Valley Road. By the time we got onto the Molesworth Station Road properly, we didn't see any rain. Uh, and it was just it was just grey and and temperate the whole way around. Yeah, and like, yeah, as you say, it kept the dust down because um, I don't know about you, but that um, 690 Enduro of uh, Brent's really knows how to kick up a bit of a dust cloud. <laughs> So Awateri Valley Road, we moved on to the Molesworth Road. I thought we were in the Molesworth a long time before we actually got onto the Molesworth. That road goes on forever before you get to the actual gates and the old Cobb Cottage. Yeah, I didn't, like, I thought the station started a lot further, well, cl- a lot closer to Blenheim, uh, just like you. And then we sort of, we, what was it? We crossed that really tall, rather sketchy bridge. Um, it's like a suspension bridge um, with a bit of a, a rather 
skittish, shall we say, um, wooden base. And you got to go to 10k a lot, 10k an hour as a speed limit as you cross it. And I remember stopping at the other side and going, wow, how far through the Molesworth are we to Brent? And he says, oh, we're not even at the station yet. And I was like, what? <laughs> um, and yeah, it was, yeah, far, I'm trying to think, it was easily another 20k or so before we actually hit the station from that point i reckon we were like halfway through before we even got to the gates saying welcome to the molesworth it was weird um but it was the whole thing uh, was pretty much just a massive valley you're going down this valley you're crossing the river at different points uh when i say crossing river using bridges so there was no like river crossings or anything and it's not something you couldn't do in a rental corolla yeah or a harley as some guys have told us that they've done it on like you could do it as long as you prepare to it for a puncher because gravel roads you never know what's going to happen to your tires but you could do it on any bike really it was just and almost like we were on sort of i've got the crf 250r rally you've got the tenere uh the other bikes on the trip we had what another rally and 250l a klx uh, the klr klr yeah that one <laughs> uh dr650 and brent's uh, 690 enduro we were almost on bikes that were too good to do that road like because we they had long travel suspension could soak up all the bumps and everything i reckon you'd almost be better doing it on a road bike like mike's cbr 1000 just so you're going slow enough to actually just soak in all that scenery because i've been going through i've been editing videos for my youtube channel and stuff and looking at all the scenery and i'm going holy crap i missed that that looks awesome i keep doing that every five minutes i'm looking at all this footage going i missed that so we got to the end of the molesworth road and there's an intersection one way is jolly's pass which is 10 kilometers through to Hanma Springs. The other way is uh, the main road, I guess, through to um, Hanma. That's 16Ks. And we got told a long time before we even planned the trip, you've got to go over Jolly's Pass. So we um, started belting off towards Jolly's Pass. There was one uh, water crossing that caught you out, Matt. Yeah, yeah. I was belting along, belting along, and uh, we're sort of going up this slight rise and the road hooks left. And it would have been a, it was a quite a sharp, call it, say, a 50 degree uh, corner. Then basically you go around the corner and all of a sudden you're diving down into a water crossing. And I ended up, I think I ended up in neutral as I hit the water because I was going, oh crap, shifting down. Oh, oh, water. Oh, crap. Um, and that, yeah, that did catch me out. But um, other than that, it was um, like, well, let's rephrase this. Let's start at the beginning. So we get to that intersection and there's a wooden sign and it says grade four out of five, uh, expert four-wheel drives, high clearance, um, blah, 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 blah. And it sort of, it puts the shits up you. You're sort of thinking, oh, do we really want to do this? But we all decide, yeah, let's go for it. Because <laughs> um, we've been told it's good. It's not as hard as the 42 Traverse. Um, so we did it. And um, yeah, everything was hunky-dory until we got to the very highest point of Jolly's Pass when Brent and I decided we were going to see whose bike was stronger by crashing them into so each Brent- other. <laughs> Brent's riding along, he's leading the pack, and he's not as far ahead as the rest of the pack as he thinks he is. And he gets to the very top and goes, oh, there's a nice little track off to the right. I'm going to go back and have a look at that. So he pulls off to the left and then cuts across the track to the right, and he's right in the middle of the track when Matt comes along, splashes through a wee puddle, goes, oh, oh, what was that? Looks looks back up, and Brent's right in front of him sideways and gets T-boned. Yeah, um, I hit Brent right on his rear brake disc, and I managed to actually pop a two out of the five rivets that hold his brake disc to the uh, uh, the mounting points, I guess you'd call them. And um, I bent his rear brake disc. I've been looking at the footage over and over again 
And it's not actually that fast to hit. At the time, it just felt like I was going 50k an hour and I just plowed into him. But I would have been doing maybe 10, 15, maybe 20k an hour at a push. And yeah, so we sort of getting up going, oh, you're right, mate. You're right, mate. Oh, yeah, cool. Um, and pick the bikes up. Um, I'm a little bit sore. Brent's very cheapish because <laughs> um, like, we both like, at, at the end of the day, we we're both a bit at fault there. He didn't check, do a head check to make sure there was no one behind before he did a U-turn. I looked down and yeah, looked up and instead of taking evasive action, I just grabbed the picks. So um, basically I just became a sled. Um, and yeah, at, at the end of the day, the only damage was to the KTM. Um, Rosie the Rally is utterly fine apart from a slight crease mark on her mudguard. I've got a bit of a sore shoulder still, but um, yeah, that's what happens when you fall off a motorbike every now and then. Um, but after that, we sort of, we started descending down into Hamner Springs and that's where the Jolly's Pass actually got technical, wasn't it? Yeah, loose, rocky, and a lot of those uh, water ruts that kind of make their own way down the track. So they may be crossing you, they may be running parallel to you, and you just got to keep your wits about you. But I didn't find it too technical. Ch- chuck the, the, the Tenere in, se- in first gear, maybe second, and just let the engine brake and control the bike down the hill. No dramas. Yeah, and it was a stunning time actually to be riding along there because once we got over that crest of the hill and we're making our way down... I remember the boys were waiting for us. So I'd, um, after Brent and I had had our little collision, I turned the bike back on and the ABS was sort of being a bit funny. So I had to cycle the bike again. Um, so you and I and Ross were a bit behind the rest of the guys. They'd sort of gone off and they were waiting for us. And we were coming down this descent and they're waiting for us on the, cr- the crest of this corner. And I just remember going, the lighting there looks perfect. And then I stop, and you can just see out to Hamner Springs and everything through all the valleys. It's just one of those stunning places in the country that you want to stop and take a moment. But at the time, we were going, well, I could really do with a beer. <laughs> and so we were sort of charging charging hard for Hamner Springs and for the hot springs that we thought we were going to go. We got to Hamner Springs. Brent rips his back wheel off. He starts uh, hammering away on the um, on the brake disc, flattening it out. Uh, other maintenance is happening. Quite literally hammering away. <laughs> other maintenance is happening. Uh, we didn't end up going to the hot springs because they closed at 9 o'clock. We got there at 8 o'clock, and they still wanted to charge us 30 bucks per person. I wasn't keen on that. Uh, so we had fish and chips, yeah, which was actually like. was really good from the uh, general store. Um Heck a couple yeah. of beers. Uh, so good, in fact, that we went back for breakfast. Yeah. Um, and um, yeah, quite well. Yeah, I had a couple more beers than um, you. Uh, had a shower. We had hot showers the um, at the uh, accommodation instead of the hot springs. Um, and we were marvelling at the fact that the showers had a seat in them, um, which was quite novel for us. Um, and yeah, we pretty much. And then I then I blacked out and fell asleep. Yeah, and I slept like an absolute rock. Yes, a rock that snores incredibly loudly. <laughs> I've been warned not only by uh, Ben, I've been warned by your wife that you snore like a freight train, and to go to for you. And um, unfortunately, you were out like a light before I could even get a chance to switch my brain off. And um, yeah, I didn't quite sleep as well as you that night, but. Um, yeah, that's that's what happens when you go away with mate. Sometimes uh, some per- one person snores louder than the other. On to part three, and we were to tackle the rainbow. Uh, and the good news came through uh, at, uh, during Saturday, during part two, that we the rainbow road had been opened. They got the bulldozer through there, and they managed to uh, forge a track. And so uh, the the jewel in the crown was open to us, and we were going to go and have a go at the rainbow. So we got up, we got a, we got. 
uh, you know, organised. We got on the bikes really early. We wanted to be on the track by 8am. We got fuel about 7.30, got breakfast, met up with Ross, who was the uh, the guy who we never met before, but we met him on a Facebook page and he said he was going to come with us. He ended up being a cool guy. Um, yeah, utterly uh, incredible guy, to be honest. Whenever someone fell off, Ross was always the first person on the scene helping them get up or helping lift their bike up. Um, it's um, uh, it's been going through my head ever since we got back. Like he is sort of the quintessential biker you want to meet. Sort of you meet, don't know him from Adam, but he's just there. He does the does the hard yakka, and um, he was just generally good company. Wasn't so he was he? an English boy, and he come to the country. He works all th- all winter, and he rides his bike and does uh, life all summer. And I thought that was really cool. So we got onto the the road at um, eight a.m. And uh, the first, you know, we're still in the Molesworth station. We're, we're hitting north out of Hanmo. We're still in the Molesworth. Didn't realise we were still in the Molesworth. Um, and we got to uh, that lake. That was a very cold lake. Lake Tennyson. And um, in the preparation and planning, um, when I initially was like, right, I'm going to go do this ride. I don't care who's coming with me. I'm going to camp. And Lake Tennyson has camping facilities there. And we got there. And the first thing that came to my mind was, oh, thank Christ we didn't camp here because it was bloody cold. Um, it was kind of temperature where we're in the middle of summer, mind you, sort of expecting kind of warm, sunny skies, a bit of uh, music in the hills. And we get there, it's miserable, it's cloudy. There's just this wind coming off the snow-capped mountains across the lake, and it was so cold. And all I could think was, yeah, None, none of us would have had fun if we'd stayed there the night. Not like we had the night before where we had access to fish and chips and beer and all that kind of stuff. Um, I'd like to camp there one day. We were on the eastern side of the lake looking across westward and there were the Snowcake Mountains, they, they weren't actually that far away. I remember looking at them going, they don't. I'm not looking up to these snowcaps and I'm not looking that far away to them. It's very cold and, yeah, as you say, I was glad we weren't staying there. If you look at a map... Not far past that lake towards the west was the other end of the Nelson Lakes, which we stopped at later that day. Uh, But you had an issue with your tyre, or so we thought. Yeah, so after my little praying with Brent, I was a bit conscious of my tyre, and I checked, got out my uh, handy-dandy tyre pressure gauge that I'd um, pinched out of the uh, kit I had in my old Subaru after I sold it. And um, I checked my front tyre pressure, and it was saying I had about 18 PSI. I was like, oh, that's, that's gone down a bit. Um, I'd only filled it up the day before and I was a bit conscious of it. And then we started trying to pump it up and that's when things went a bit sideways. My hand pump, first time I went to use it, uh, this is why you buy quality stuff from the warehouse, went to pull out the hand pump and it literally the shaft pulled out of the body and the hand pump's broken. And so I was like, oh, okay, that, that's not ideal. And then we tried to do it with Brent's tie, um, hand pump as well. That didn't work particularly well, so we ended up letting about three PSI out of the tyre and um, just deciding, screw it, we're going to cause more damage than we are, we'll just keep an eye on it, make sure um, I don't hit anything too hard, and carried on. Um, And that kind of limited me for the day. Interesting that happened, though, because um, at Christmas, I got a, uh, uh, you know, Ryobi OnePlus? I got a uh, tyre pump that runs on Ryobi OnePlus batteries, and I've got quite a bit of Ryobi gear. And so I actually took that with me on the Forgotten World Highway 40-second reverse trip and uh, never used it. And when I got home, I went, well, that's one piece of gear I'm not taking again because I never used it. I didn't need it. (laughs) And it turns out if I had brought it, you would have been fine. But um, your tyre wasn't 
did it end up having a slow puncture or was it just bad um bad gauges bad gauge i think or couldn't get a proper reading off the gauge it's been fine up until then um but yes yeah, so i'm not quite sure what was the exact issue maybe it was a little bit of the whole i don't know the uncertainty of it all being in the middle of freaking nowhere and um just wanting to check and going oh crap what's going on here um but no it was actually fine we got to um Nelson Lakes uh, went to put some air in the tyre and the tyre pressure gauge said I had plenty of air. So I was like, all right, we'll just trust the gas, <laughs> the gas station's tyre pressure gauge. And um, after that, I sort of just started going, riding a bit more um, faster. But all the way through the rainbow, I was very conscious. I didn't want to hit any um, potholes too hard. I didn't want to hit any rocks too hard in case I gave myself a, um, a pinch flat or something like that. Um which um, turned out to be, um, yeah, but a, a bit of a, a limiting factor. You guys, I was basically tail in Charlie for that entire section of the ride. Yeah, I, um, I, I had a conversation with Brent all through Saturday, part one, and and, and Molesworth. He was telling me to let air out of my tyres, and to be honest, I just couldn't be bothered. <laughs> so I was running with thirty three psi, thirty three, thirty five thereabouts, uh, which is which is standard road, um, you know, standard road pressures. And to be fair. It's what I ran and the forgo- at the forty second traverse, um, but it was a bit it was a bit skatey. Um, so we went down to about twenty two twenty five, and um, I didn't instantly notice it. You know, black and white, night and day. It's not like it instantly improved the bike, but it must have done something, given me more confidence, or maybe taken away a little bit of the skatiness because I was just off. I was enjoying the the rainbow, and it was like I was on my old WR two fifty on a trail ride. I was absolutely eating it up so much so that for the first time i actually gained enough ground on you guys to stop get off get my camera out and film you guys coming across the bridge yeah you you were right hammering along at times um you know i was just yeah going slow and i was like well if i'm going slow I may as well and trying to enjoy the scenery like that scenery like you are literally in the middle of nowhere and at times it feels like you're in mongolia or just anywhere but new zealand it's just so foreign well, for someone like me who's born and bred in the north island um to be riding through that part of the country it is just mind-boggling the rainbow road definitely had a lot more challenges uh, that slip where the slip was uh, there the uh, was now and there is now two roads there's a low road and a high road the low road is what they managed to get the bulldozer through the high road is where the original road was and they've since got a bulldozer through it um, but uh, it wasn't too I mean Brent reckon he could have, we would have got he would have got our bikes through it if they didn't bulldoze it but um, there were a few four-wheel drives that tried to get through there and they couldn't that's why they closed it initially um, but uh, hey gotta say Thanks very much to the owners of the Rainbow Station for doing that and for allowing access to everyone uh, to that land. Because if if they didn't allow access, them and the and the Molesworth station owners, uh, there's just so much of the country that you would never see, and and there's you don't see that kind of country. Like where in the in the country do you go that you turn your engine off? turn your music off and it's just silent yeah it's um yeah so the molesworth um station's owned by doc uh, the rainbow station's owned by rainbow station the company that owns that so thanks doc as well yeah um the molesworth free to ride through we should say um because public land and stuff you just asked to stay on the road uh, not go chasing cows off onto the hills and um the rainbow is actually a toll road um if you're going to 
be a private citizen and ride through there, they ask you pay, what was it, $20 for us and it's $30 for four-wheel drive? $20 per bike, um, which we had a conversation when we were having breakfast about, yeah, we'll go and get gas, we'll go to the the, uh, the ATM, we'll get some um, cash out for the, the $20 per bike toll. And then when we left, I went, yeah, cool, going to get gas off your bike. And you guys went and got went to the ATM, which I, you all went the opposite way to me. I, I don't know where you guys are going, but that's fine. I'll go and get gas. That's fine. And it wasn't until about five minutes before we got to the toll road, uh, the toll gate, that I went, oh, yeah, needed uh, needed some money. Yeah, I'd actually had the cash on me. And then um, we got onto the ferry. And at that point, the rainbow was closed. So I was like, well, I'll just pay in cash. Like, that's just easier than trying to get my EPOS card out and whatever. I was like, cool, here's a $20 note, paid for my breakfast that way. And then, yeah, we're sort of like, oh, rainbow's open, need cash now. Ah, all right then. Alan and Brent didn't know that you had to pay. Yes, yes. So um, Alan and Brent, the blokes that we'd uh, met previously, um, didn't know that you had to pay um, the toll road. We um, weren't riding with them actually through the rainbow, Um these two gents, we'd met them on the ferry and um, they were doing basically the same ride as us, but they were taking a little bit more time. And we caught up with them again and picked in before we left and they were saying, oh yeah, we showed up, we didn't have any money, but they gave us a bank account. So we just did a bank transfer, which is very handy um, considering, yeah, it's, it's quite easy as we found out to forget to go and get cash out before you leave ha- Hamner Springs. For sure. I still haven't paid Brent back. He, I keep asking him for his bank details and he keeps not giving them to me. Uh, but thanks very much, Brent, for spotting me there. From the Rainbow toll gate through to Nelson Lakes, well, that that was just lefty-righty, lefty-righty to, um, tarmac. Actually, before we got on the tarmac, there was a beautiful river crossing, which I was getting quite nervous about because Brent would be talking it up. And apparently uh, when the, uh, the KTM guys went through there, it was waist deep and a, a few of the staff from the KTM rally were in there up to their waists for about four or five hours helping all these KTMs through. But when we went through, it was only, what, 30 centimetres deep? Yeah, axle height at most. Um, it's definitely one of the things I found um, through this trip was the water crossings were a lot more intimidating looking than they actually were to ride. Um, we've got video of me. Some of that, I reckon, was because uh, you were in the middle of nowhere and you knew in the back of your mind that if you dropped your bike... I if I drop my bike, I don't have the skills to get it going again. If I ingest water, what am I going to do? Well, thankfully, we've got Brent. We had Brent for that occasion because um, he's quite an experienced adventure rider, which is another point is if you can tee up with someone who's a lot more experienced than you, like we're both like we're both experienced riders, but when it comes to adventure riding and proper adventure riding, we're probably novice to intermediate at best. Um, it is so beneficial to tee up with someone that actually has been doing it for years, has the confidence to go, all right, you've ingested water, this is what we do, or just to take charge and show you how it's done. Um, because Brent just filled me with so much confidence. Like, all right, we'll just do this. And I was like, all right, cool. Like with my front tire issue, we're like, well, we could let more t- air out accidentally trying to get this sorted, or we could just run it as it is and um, deal with it if you get a flat. So yeah, kudos sprint. And yeah, just if you can do it, it's um, there's so many great riders out there. We, as we said earlier, we've met um, another Brent and Alan on the ferry, two blokes we didn't know from Adam. We met Ross, who we didn't know from Adam. They all joined us on the Molesworth. Uh, Ross joined us on the Rainbow. You can just tee up with riders anywhere, really, and uh, meet a whole lot of great people and just 
learn from them. So from the last river crossing, we hit some tarmac. It was lefty-righty, lefty-righty, and it could have been a tarmac uh, gravel sprint stage. It was absolutely brilliant, and... Um, I'm not even going to comment on the speed limit because I might not have been sticking to it. Uh, from there, we went out to Nelson Lakes. I uh, can't remember the exact name of the lake. It was Rotorua something, Rotorua, Rotorua, something like that. Beautiful lake. If you ever see a photo, uh, like photos of somebody's trip around the South Island, that's probably one place they're going to take photos. And if you want to see our photos, jump on the Facebook page, facebook.com forward slash Kiwi Rider Podcast, or search for us on Instagram as well. Uh, we've went from there to Nelson. We weren't going to go through Nelson itself, but Matt had never been there, so we went through Nelson down the waterfront. Stunning place. Love Nelson. Sunny Nelson. And onto a track that neither of us really knew anything about and never heard of before, and we're we're not going to do if we weren't taken there by Brent. Brent downplayed it for most (laughs) of the trip. He said, oh, we're going to do do Mangatapu. Mangatapu, yeah, it's fine. We'll we'll go down to Nelson. We'll go over Mangatapu, and then we'll be, um, you know, in Polaris Valley, and we'll be away laughing. And then we got there, and <laughs> it was a little bit more than just, oh, it's just Mangatapu. Yeah, so um, you guys, we pulled up there, and um, so the story goes, a four-wheel driver managed to roll their four-wheel drive off this track and die, and so the local council closed it to vehicle access apart from mountain bikes and motorcycles. Um, so you get up to the top of this, where the track starts, <clears throat> you're looking over the basically the water reservoir for Nelson and um, there's a chain fence that you have to ride around. Um, so I sort of get to there. I take off my jacket because I want to take off my thermal liner. Pro tip, if you're going to do Mangatapu track, take off your thermal liner <laughs> um, and you guys all disappear. And open all your vents. Yeah, yeah, it's, it's hard yakka. Um, and so Ray, Brent and Ollie all disappear off ahead of me. And um, so I'm sort of slowly, and I can all I can hear in my headset is sort of as Ray's disappearing, like oh, oh, cool, oh, oh, <laughs> and then he is just silence, and I'm like, all right, cool, this is going to be interesting. And um, yeah, let's just say the Rainbow Road was a step up from the Molesworth. Mangatapu Trek track is many steps up from the Rainbow. Um, it was snotty, it was rocky, it was steep, and it was an absolute blast. It was definitely the hardest track that we have done out of anything we have mentioned in the last, what, 50-odd minutes of podcast. It was, um, it, yeah, exactly. It was uphill. It was steep. It was something you didn't want to stop on. So you were kind of riding that balance between uh, mechanical sympathy and, you know, looking after your, your pride and joy, your bike. But also, I've got, to, I've got to dig in on this hill and I've got to get up it and I've got to wind the throttle harder. And then when we got to the top, breathless, soaking wet from sweat, it was a beautiful view right across Nelson and all the way out to the Nelson Ranges. Yeah, it was absolutely stunning. Um, there were a couple of tricky bits, um, especially if you're riding with panniers. Um, there are a couple of gates that you need to squeeze your bike through, or even if you're not wearing if you've got a, a reasonably wide cage on your bike, for instance, like Ray. I don't think you'd get a, an R1250 GS through there, Ray. Oh, definitely not. Not Definitely wouldn't get a boxer through or it'd be a lot of hard work um, because um, yeah, at one point, just before the summit of the track, there is a big metal gate um, preventing four-wheel drives from going any further. And um, the bikes, you hook left along the track and you sort of go through the ditch and you go around the gate. 
Um, you squeeze between the bollard of the gate and the cliff. Um, yeah, or basically you ride onto the cliff and hope for the best. Was <laughs> 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 as, as sort of looking, watching Ray go through it was basically looked what was happening. Looked what was happening. I had the widest bike there by by far, and I managed to get through, and I didn't have to get off the bike to do it. But I tell you what, the exhaust uh, is deceivingly wide on the back of the the T seven. Yeah, well, I was running my panniers, and I was thinking, oh, oh, okay. I hope these don't get hooked up, but thankfully they didn't. And um, yeah, there was no real dramas on that track, really. But man, it is one of those tracks that really shows your bike fitness or lack thereof. Don't go in there without some form of skid plate protection, because the 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 Outback Motor Trek uh, skid plate on the T seven. Every time a rock hits it, it's a gong, it's a bell, dong, 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 and that was just going off. You could hear it through the centers, Matt. Yeah. Oh, definitely. I could hear that, and I was thinking there were a couple of times so. Rosie the Rally's still got the factory skid plate, which is made of plastic. And I remember getting off there and I could hear it crunching and scraping on some of these rocks. Because these rocks, they're not small pebbles or anything. Some of these rocks are a good sort of 10 centimetres circumference that you're riding over. Some of them are even larger. And um, got to the end of the track, got to the end of the trip for me, and I was washing the bike and I was looking at my skid plate and it has some seriously hefty gouges in it. Um, I've been planning to buy a B&B off-road um, bash plate for the rally for a while now, and it's definitely climbed up my list of needs rather than wants. Um, it was definitely a gnarly uh, track. If you're going through there, don't do it alone unless you're highly, highly skilled. We did run and uh, come up against a guy on, what was it, a guy on a 1090 KTM maybe or an 1190? Big KTM adventure bike anyway. He was doing it the opposite direction to us. And we were thinking, oh, yeah, you're brave doing this. And um, he'd basically done all the hard stuff, and he was onto the easy part at that point. And we were thinking, oh, mate, you, mate you, you're in for some stuff. And, yeah, we had no idea, did we? So we got to the top of the uh, Mangatapu, and then it was the downhill descent, which, uh, so on the way up, it's a lot steeper, but it's shorter because you're going up faster. The, the way down was a lot longer because it was a more gradual winding through the bush. Um, a lot of picking your line, a lot of controlling your bike with, um, with uh, engine braking, and then we got to the bottom. We went through some farmland. We ended up at Polaris uh, Bridge, Polaris Valley. Beautiful spot. I wanted to stop and jump in the river. Yeah, if, um, I don't know, well, yeah, we were kind of all in our heads going, oh, we need to make sure we get to the ferry on time, weren't we, a little bit? Um, but there were plenty of people there. I think, Matt, you were going, I want to get to Picton for beer, and you were going, <laughs> beer, beer, I want beer. A little bit, yeah. That may have also been going through my head. And I'd come to the realisation that the gravel was over for me for the trip as well, because once you come out of that farmland and onto Polaris Bridge, there is no more gravel, um, well, for us anyway, on our trip. And um, I was having an utter blast after doing that really, really snotty Mangatapu track and um, getting onto that sort of more open, flowy gravel roads. I was hanging the rally out. I was sliding it. I was having an absolute time of my life. And then all of a sudden the road is sealed and it's like, all right. <laughs> it was, yeah, anticlimactic, a bit of a letdown, like, all right, cool, this is the realisation. That is all of the It was road. a bit of like that. It was, it was, it, the, the tone became a little more sombre because we knew we were going from Polaris through to Havelock. We were saying goodbye to Brent and Ollie. Uh, and, and it was kind of like, well, that's almost us. But we said goodbye at Havelock and then we went to do 
Queen Charlotte Drive, which Brent kept saying, it's a beautiful road, go and do it. It's absolutely outstanding. We both looked at it on the map and went 50 k's an hour. Oh, how fun can it be? Yeah, how wrong were we? <laughs> like, honestly. Very wrong. Yeah, incredibly wrong. Um, definitely, if you're planning your routes, never take a speed limit um, on a twisty road for granted. Uh, honestly, you wouldn't have, even if you were going having a good time you wouldn't be doing much faster than the speed limit on queen charlotte drive it is that twisty and you wouldn't want to do much faster either because i mean apart from the danger factor you want to be able to go slow so you can actually look and you're winding your way along this narrow piece of cliff right on the edge of one of the queen charlotte sounds it was absolutely outstanding and there's plenty of places to stop and plenty of people that were stopping and i think that's part of the reason why it is such a speed limit it's because you want to be able to safely pull over and just go, wow, that looks amazing. Um, so we stopped a couple of times as we were riding through. Um, we were very thankful for the centers that we had linked up because um, there was a lot of tar bleed and um, some diesel or something spilled on the road that Ray was warning me about because Ray was ahead of me being on the T7 and having a bit more oomph to get off the line. And I was just cruising along behind him on Rosie and I was going, all right, cool. Yep. All right. Listening to Ray's instructions, avoiding all of the dangers. And, well, uh, that and I, we were so close to the end. I didn't want you to, didn't want to lose you off the cliff, Matt. I was like, how am I going to explain <laughs> to your wife and your two kids that we we did the whole thing and we were fifty k's away from the ferry and oh, I lost them. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Though that's um, yeah, you were close to the end. I still had another six hundred k's to go. <laughs> it was a really long trip on a CRF two fifty. <laughs> a cool part of the Queen Charlotte Sound, though, Queen Charlotte Drive, is you come around this, you, you've been winding around for hours, hours, probably an hour. You've been winding around the cliff, left, right, left, right, up, down, left, right, left, right, left, right, and then you come around this last corner, and you're right above Picton. You're over, overlooking the ferry terminals, and you can see Picton Town. Man, it was, a, it was a gorgeous thing to come around the corner and see, and you knew that you were only a minute away from getting a beer. Yeah, um, though we actually stopped, we bucked the trend, we stopped and we soaked it in. Um, the Inter-Islander was, uh, what was it, was it docking or was it leaving? I think it was just docking. Yeah, and we sort of stopped and we watched the ferry, uh, we checked our watches, we had plenty of time before we needed to check into our ferry, and we just sat there and watched it, and you're just looking out at the scene, going, far out, like, it's it was quite magical in a way it was yeah it's it was breathtaking it was you you both all the emotions are running through your head you know that you're coming to the end of your trip um as a big team you're sort of going all right cool the beer is just over there i can see the pub we're going over there but you don't care we sort of um stopped we took some photos we enjoyed the scenery we watched the big ferry do its thing and then we just jumped on our bikes and um, moseyed on into Picton to find some beer. And then we uh, accidentally ran into um, our friends who had made on the ferry the day before, Alan and uh, Brent, uh, at the pub that we'd pulled up to. Well, restaurant, pub, place of food and beer. Yeah, it was. And I smashed a, a couple of beers and I had a pizza. Um, stand out for me, uh, we've, we've been trying out these center units for most of our rides, uh, since middle of last year. 
the Senna's actually came into their own on this trip, I reckon. The Senna 50 Series uh, communicators, uh, we were having some minor dramas with them uh, on the 40-second traverse. Um, we, we tried to make, do a three-way with, uh, you know, two Senna's and, a, and an odd unit, and they didn't quite work. We... Um, we're mucking around with them way back on the GS Rally, and we still couldn't quite get them to be, you know, 100% sorted. But I tell you what, on this trip, we spent a, a couple of minutes on the ferry connecting them, uh, and they connected, this time they connected perfectly, straight through, no dramas. It was one button and they were connected, um, and and they they just worked. We, I got to the point where I could turn mine off every time we stopped, and then I'd turn it back on, hit one button, and they'd reconnect. It was like they worked like they were meant to work. Yeah, I think we definitely came into almost an understanding with the units, sort of. Um, I think part of, part of that <laughs> An understanding. Pre- you and me are going to have problems. <laughs> well, previously, we'd sort of we'd been mucking around, and obviously, whenever, uh, for privacy reasons, whenever you hit voice record on your phone, it disconnects it from the center um, for whatever reason. And um, so that I think was part of the reason, one of the many reasons we were having issues previously. And um, so switching them off on again, hitting that side button on um, my unit, which is the 50S, it has the scroll wheel, hitting that side button and it will start trying to reconnect reconnect the intercom. And um, yeah, I found a couple of times actually I'd lose you where either one of us would be ahead of the other, go around a corner and it would just cut out and we sort of, it wouldn't self-heal for whatever reason, part of the, probably because we'd been out of range for so long. Um, turn it off, turn it on again, hit that uh, button, and, um, oh, look, we're talking to each other again. Yeah, so they were, they were doing a really good job. Uh, and, and, like, I think this trip, the Molesworth and the Rainbow, was the first time that I actually went, you know what, no, these are good. I like these. They they work. They do what they meant to do. They do what they say on the box. Um, and we got some good range. I mean, we were getting up to three kilometres of range, line of sight. Of course, when one of us went over a hill or around a corner or something, you know, a long way away, then we'd lose each other. And I got to the point where I, could, I had my music on, um, and every time we'd disconnect because we were too far away from each other, my music would turn on, and then when we'd come back into range, my music would turn off and I could hear you again. And I thought that was a cool little feature. Yeah, yeah, I was, well, I <laughs> I wasn't organised enough to have music running on my uh, headset uh, when we weren't uh, connected. So I was sort of in silence, chatting to myself, having a sing-song, singing the wiggles and whatnot, as you do. And um, yeah, then all of a sudden, boom, Headset connected. Oh, hi Ray. How are you going? Oh, that's you. Uh, <laughs> now I've heard, I've seen some people um, say about Ventura luggage racks that um, oh they're no good for adventure bikes. No, the vibrations aren't good for them. They don't hold up. They're not strong enough. I can tell you categorically that's bullshit. <laughs> uh, the Ventura Evo rack on the back of my Tenere Seven Hundred is solid as and has handled between 6 and 10 kgs worth of luggage uh, about 4,000 kilometres the entire way, uh, 40 second traverse, Forgotten World Highway, Port Underwood, Molesworth, Rainbow, all of that. Not a drama. It's still it's still tight. I've even gone and you know wiggled it and te- checked the bolts. The bolt tension's still all there. So the Ventura uh, system, the Evo system, is absolutely brilliant. And I reckon it's quite good because it's kind of streamlined behind you. Yeah, I, the only thing I could think of that would annoy me uh, and that's just a personal preference thing is because it's behind you is you swing a leg up do you hit you, do you sometimes try and hit the um, bag there at all or you've got four different locations for placement you can have it you know back 
uh, facing backwards forward, facing backwards backwards, and then facing forwards forwards and backwards. So you can kind of uh, get that good placement for weight um, distribution. If it's facing forward, I have a dra- I have an issue with it because it's too far forward. It's fine if I'm not wearing a backpack, but if I've got a backpack, then it's too far forward and it gets annoying. Uh, and getting a leg over, you've got to stand on the peg to swing a leg over. You can't just stand on the ground to swing a leg over. Um, but if it's on the back facing backwards, as it would be if you were planning to have a pillion as well, uh, it's absolutely fine. I haven't got a drama with it whatsoever. Nice. Yeah, I... <laughs> Other gear that was standout was, and it's not even in here anymore, my LS2 Pioneer Evo helmet. I love that. Um, It's got the tinted visor and the whites branded uh, anti-fog unit. I wore that with my glasses the whole trip, all those trips, and it was just brilliant. Uh, The only time I had issues were my glasses fogging up when I didn't get enough ventilation. So if I was working hard on the Forgotten World, uh, so on the 40-second traverse or something, my glasses would fog up and that, I mean, I need to find a solution for that. Yeah, from what I understand, um, and this is what Veggie uh, Publisher at KRs told me, um, a bit of um, shampoo, you polish that into your glasses and that stops them fogging fogging up. Um, On a similar note, for me, uh, standout um, bit of gear that I took along with me, apart from the tyres, which performed flawlessly and still had plenty of tread on them, I'd go, yeah, I'm expecting at least 7,000 Ks out of these tyres, was my MotoDry Rally suit. Um, So I upgraded um, just before all of this started happening. Uh, MotoDry is a new company that's, well, they're not a new company, they're an Australian brand. They were recently brought into the company and they were recently brought into the country by Derby Accessories, the guys behind um, motogear.co.nz. And I thought, how oh, heck, that looks like a nice suit. Um, I'll give that a whirl. Um, bought it, paid for it, and uh, been wearing it ever since. And um, it's not often I get to say I have crash tested some of my gear. Um, so when I did the Tenere 700 launch in Australia in 2019, I crash tested my Scott ADV 350 gear. Wasn't particularly stoked with um, how it turned out because of where the armor sat and because uh, big sleeves uh, and no uh, ways that you can tighten your sleeves and keep the armor um, close to your skin. Um, I felt I was getting a bit more beaten up with that. Moved to the Moto Dry gear, it's got adjustable sleeves and all that. When I came off at the top of Jolly's Pass, it was a, probably one of my bigger uh, get-offs, um, to be fair, but literally no bruising. Um, the only injury I've sustained was I've got a wee bit of a sore shoulder still, and I'm pretty sure that was because I had my GoPro physically atten- uh, tethered to the bike because uh, I was charging at the time, and I think it wrenched my neck in a wee, uh, bit of a weird way. But otherwise, like the motor dry gear... No uh, damage to the gear itself from falling off on that gravel road. No real damage to me. Um, the gear, all the armor stayed in place. Um, I was really, really thrilled with that, especially as I actually paid my own money for it. It wasn't one of those things where we're given gear and um, sort of people go, all right, cool. Uh, here's this. you got to test this. And you're sort of going, oh, yeah, cool. It does it does the job. But, um, yeah, yeah. Um, and we're always trying to be honest with our gear reviews. If something shit, we'll tell you. Um, but honestly, for a, a mid-range adventure suit, that Moto Dry Rally suit um, has really um, 
really impressed me, to be fair. I was impressed with my quad lock. My phone stayed on the handlebars the whole time with a vibration dampener. No dramas. Phone's still perfectly fine. Matt, you didn't uh, you didn't risk the iPhone 12 on your quad lock, did you? Yeah, it was. Yeah, it was. Um, I've, I don't know. I had previously, before the vibration dampener came out, I bought the brand new iPhone and I... Um, had run it. I did my little test loop. I go out to Mount Parongia and the Kafia Harbour and come back. And all of a sudden I had the dreaded um, iPhone camera issue that you get from high frequency vibrations. For some reason it self-healed itself. I took it um, that, it, the bike, that it was fixed. The camera was fixed. Tried it with the vibration dampener on my way to Rotorua. And um, on that 50 minute ride, it came back again. So I've since sent the iPhone back. I've got a brand new iPhone and I'm a bit scared to put it to the test because I don't want to have to go through another warranty claim. Um, so I was running instead my iPhone 6S. I got that as a dedicated uh, navigation unit slash um, child entertainment unit. And um, yeah, that was hooked up. No dramas at all. So simple, especially when you've got your uh, USB outlet right below it. You just plug it in, keep it charged, and away you go. And I had no issues. That's something I loved. I loved that. Uh, I I plugged in an auxiliary uh, power socket with two um, cables. I had one running to my GoPro, one running to my phone. And getting to the end of a ride and having a phone fully charged is kind of a novelty for me. I was like, I've got so much power. I could do so much. The only thing I found because I was running two phones was I'd forget to charge the iPhone that was sitting in my pocket. Um, So we got to the end of... um, our first day on the Molesworth and I had about 9% left on my uh, iPhone on the, the good iPhone. The other one was fully charged, but that's not the one I use. <laughs> so I was like, Oh crap, need to plug that into a power bank, get it charged up a bit. Um, but yeah, those quad locks are brilliant. And that's something you should take away with you as well. If you're, if you're running short on space, I reckon this would be a priority thing. If you do have a phone, if you're a millennial, you do a bit of Facebooking, and maybe if it's, especially if it's your only form of communication and contact with the outside world, take a battery bank. Even if you've got an auxiliary charger on your phone, a battery bank is a lifesaver. If, you, if your bike dies and you've got a battery bank, you can charge your phone, you can let people know where you are, um, and that sort of jazz. So I think a battery bank is a, a number one thing you have to take yeah and make sure you don't get a cheap one with um a small battery um so i've got a few um they tend to be the the launch gift of choice from a lot of motorcycle manufacturers these days um you want at least four thousand or better six thousand or eight thousand milliamp hours of power because bigger phones these days uh, the iphone 11 iphone 12 um you can charge those one one and a half times off those bigger ones i've got a smaller um battery bank that I bought thinking it was going to be good. It was two, 2,500 milliamp hours. It gets me a third of a battery, um, full charge battery on my iPhone. Um, so yeah, make sure you get a good one. Don't get a small, don't cheap out. Don't get a really small one. Uh, cause it won't get you a lot of, won't get you out of trouble. Yeah. A good way to work it out. How big battery bank do you need, uh, is to go, right. How, what battery have you got? What are you charging? A iPhone XR, for example, is a, a 3000 milliamp hour battery. You need to times two that to make sure you can get a full charge. So if you want to fully charge an iPhone XR, you need a 6000 milliamp hour battery. Uh, so I, I would say 6,000 would be my, my minimum. I'm lucky enough to have two 12,000, uh, 12, so that's all G. And there was one more thing that I wanted to mention. Actually, there's two more things that I want to mention. I'm aware this podcast has gone on forever, and we could probably easily fill another hour, Matt. Um, 
Motor Tech, Outback Motor Tech, um, they sent me the crash cage and the skid plate for that bike. And I said it has paid for itself. I've dropped that bike four times. Admittedly, all four times have been from a standstill. Uh, and it's short leg syndrome. I've got myself into a situation where I can't touch the ground on one side, and that's which way I'm leaning, and I've dropped the bike. I've dropped the bike twice on the right, twice on the left, and that cage has taken an absolute beating. Uh, and and the bike is still shiny and and there were a couple of it's black there were a couple of bits where uh, you know i got a scratch in the paint and uh, of the of the cage and i just got a black vivid and colored it in it looks outstanding so thank you very much outback motor tech they've got an, uh, an outlet in australia who um you can get cages and skid plates and pannier brackets and all sorts of stuff from or you can just go to their website outbackmotortech.com they are absolutely brilliant and the one more thing that i wanted to mention is um oh the stuff that cleans our bikes for us the stuff that's cleans our bikes for us um if you haven't tried motormark you're in for you're in for something fun like get yourself some motormark uh they came on board i i hit up hilton i said hilton um doing this series uh do you want to come on board and, and um you know do you want to send us some stuff and clean our bikes and he goes yeah i'd love to and uh, i want to send you some giveaways so we've got one more giveaway to do uh so get on the facebook facebook.com forward slash kiwi rider podcast and we'll be doing that giveaway this week so this podcast uh goes live on i'm just pulling up my calendar matt this podcast goes live on the 25th of uh february so if you're within the 25th of february and the 28th of march get on the facebook facebook.com forward slash kiwi rider podcast and there is a competition for you to enter to get yourself some motor muck try it out clean your bike spray it like no elbow grease it's the easiest thing i've ever found to clean my bike spray it on go and have a beer five to ten minutes use a water blaster if you've got one otherwise a, a good pressure hose um and and it's clean that's it that's all you have to do and there are a lot of pretenders out there as well and they don't work quite as well and a lot of them yeah they're not quite as nice to use as well like they'll smell clean but they're a bit mm, toxicy kind of uh, you get the vibe from uh, the motorbike cam i understand is nice to the environment as well as to your bike yeah it's got a good ph level it's like pretty much ph neutral or something like that don't quote me i haven't looked into that i'm talking off the top of my head um but i mean yeah they motormark sponsored the episode but only because the stuff works if, if if a company that came to me that whose, whose stuff i tried didn't work and said we want to sponsor your episode i wouldn't be spouting this much good stuff about them i'd be like yeah they sponsored our episode that's all good um but no motormark is good stuff um so get on the facebook and um and win yourself some thanks very much motormark uh, go to motormark.co.nz for more information on that man we have absolutely filled this podcast matt we're closing on on 80 minutes but what an epic ride uh, it has been what an epic adventure yeah you know what the worst part is though we don't know what our we don't know what our next adventure is going to be and um, i think that's um yeah i've sort of i've had this we had that molesworth trip planned and we were thinking about it for so long and now it's like well what do we do next and i think that's the thing we need to work out well one that is on the horizon right now is the triumph tiger adventure ride which is run by the same people who do the bmw uh the gs rally nz uh it's open to all motorcycles uh and if you give me like two seconds i'll tell you when it is 
uh, end of March from the top of my head, and there's two different uh, routes you can take. You can do one that's got a bit of gravel in it, uh, get a bit of adventure, or you can do a completely sealed um, road and not have to worry about gravel or anything like that. So you can take your full-on sports bike if you want. 100%. Uh, so two routes, uh, about hundred, about 380 uh, Ks for each route, one tarmac, one gravel, and, uh, yeah, definitely something that um, – I think it might be a, a, a one, to, one to do, Matt. March 19th and 20th, uh, Raglan. Yeah, that's not too far away from my place. I wouldn't even have to sort out accommodation, really. Um, so the deal is you get in there on Friday night, you get a meal, you get sign-on, and then you get your pack. It's got a T-shirt. It's got the route sheet. You can either do the GPX file or you can do old-school route, sheet mats, uh, route sheets, Matt. You'll be right in on those. Event stickers as well. Uh, Saturday, we get up early. We go to the riders' briefing. We get out and do 390-odd K, uh, and then we get back. There's, um, there's dinner. There's drinks. There's prize giving. Uh, you can get your own accommodation. You can either camp or whatever, um, and it's going to be an epic, epic ride if you are thinking of doing something now here's something to think about none of us are going overseas this year i can guarantee you that i can't guarantee you that my money's on the fact that we are not going overseas this year so spend your money locally get that motorcycle out of your garage and sign up for the triumph tiger adventure ride all motorcycles welcome doesn't matter if you're on a tenere rosie the rally if you're on a um a bmw get into it if you want to know more information head to facebook.com and search Triumph Tiger Adventure Ride. Registrations are now open. The registration sheet is up there now. Triumph Riders, $130. Other brands, $165. Pillion, $75 to get your uh, T-shirt and all the other bits and the goodies there as well. Yeah, definitely. Uh, I've mentioned it to the old man. He's got a Tiger 1050, and um, he's going to do it, so I might be doing it. Um, My only problem is I want to do the gravel route. He'll most likely want to do the sealed route, so... um yeah, going to have to try and work out that navigation for him because, um, yeah, I'm not going to be riding Rosie on 390 k's of seal. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's been an epic adventure. Thank you very much uh, for listening to this podcast. Matt, thanks for coming along on the adventure. Yeah, coming along the adventure. It was my idea in the first place, and, um, yeah, together we made it quite an epic trip, didn't we? And I look, for pl- I look forward to plenty, plenty more uh, now that I've got my uh, epic adventure machine in the garage. Yeah, we definitely need to... F- Find, uh, to plan our next big adventure together uh, multi-day adventure just quickly we are now on um, Patreon as well so head to Patreon and search for Kiwi Rider Podcast if you'd like to support the show for even a dollar that'd be absolutely magical we'd love you for that uh, if you want to get a hold of us you can email us podcast at kiwirider.co.nz we're on Facebook and Instagram as well as we mentioned one more thank you to Motomark you guys are awesome Hilton we love you uh, get yourself some Motomark Motomark.com Co.nz and the latest magazines coming out on Kiwi Rider as well. KiwiRider.co.nz. Matt, you've got a whole bunch of news. Next episode, we're going to be diving into it on Throttle.co.nz. On Throttle NZ, is it? Uh, on, uh, on Throttle New Zealand on Facebook and yeah, on Throttle.co.nz on Instagram as well as the actual website and um, yeah there has been a heck of a lot of news uh, this month it's almost like we've gone from November being the the month of announcements to January and February Uh, we've seen a new Suzuki Hayabusa we have seen new Motoguzzi B85 we have seen crikey (laughs) uh, CRF 300 rally has been confirmed for New Zealand Uh, all that and a whole lot more Um, just check it out on throttle.co.nz and the Triumph Trident is going to be hitting the country next month as well (gasps) exciting times indeed Um, yeah so until then um, I guess that's us Um, that is us 
let's go and enjoy our Sunday afternoon. This is Kiwi Rider Podcast. Uh, Till next time, I've been Ray. I've been Matt. Keep the rubber side down, throttle on, and we'll catch you in seven days' time.